We'll be de- looking a little deeper at Romans chapter 13, verses 9 and 10 this morning. If you want to turn there. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. My heart has been rather heavy over the last number of months, I guess. Um, Seeing what Christians have done with the word, done with their life, missed. Uh, Then I come to this passage and... uh, Keep in mind, I've been around a long time and uh, was a heathen 31 years, and uh, every once in a while watch an old movie and hear another phrase that uh, I was used to hearing uh, growing up. But there's probably more hogwash in the name of Christian love than in any other area of life. Hogwash, originally meaning swill for pigs, today means nonsense. By nonsense, how often do we hear, I love you, Lord, or I love the Lord, while the person's life contradicts his or her words? The law of gravity says that if you jump off the roof of a hundred-story building, you're going to die. The law of gravity assures us of this. The law of love is that if one is full of experiential knowledge of God, God who is perfect love, love that passes understanding, his child will be loving others as God loves them. The law of God's love assures us of this. The one who says he loves God but treats others other than the way God would treat them, his actions reveals his hypocrisy. It reveals that he is living under the law of his human love, not God's. He treats others according to his standard of law rather than the law of God's love which loves others more than self. It is interesting that in our passage this morning, Paul uses the Ten Commandments, a law to sum up the outworking of God's love. God's love is so simple, yet so difficult, for even his children to wrap our hearts around probably the primary reason that our Father has Paul and other disciples write so much about his love is for this very thing. It's so deep, so profound, and has such an impact when we begin to truly experience, if you will, the knowledge of God's love in our lives. 
Paul has explained how the law has been fulfilled in Christ, and this passage explains how he did. He fulfilled the law by never doing harm to his neighbor. We know that. We know Jesus Christ never sinned, and therefore he never, never did harm to his neighbor. Now in grace, there's a new law, the law of love. Paul writes here how as God's children grow to truly know him, they will be manifesting God's love in their lives, in our lives. Love that will be fulfilling the law because love does no harm to a neighbor. God shows us many different ways on how he expresses his love and how he exhorts us to express his love in our lives. First Peter 4, 9, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. It's a fairly easy one. Inns in those days, and one reason this is written, inns in those days were mostly houses of prostitution. Uh, they weren't like the Holiday Inn or Holiday Inn Express or places like that. They weren't at all. Um, and today, so we're encouraged to take in travelers. And this usually turns into a blessing. Uh, many of you, we have in the past something that we really enjoyed and that is, uh, took in um, evangelists and missionaries and had them stay with us. <laughs> Looking back, we have to uh, laugh at it at times. Our, our uh, dwellings at times were pretty simple. And we had one interesting experience one time. We still only had a curtain on our bathroom. Uh, and uh, I won't go into the experience, but it's a little embarrassing. Uh, but the missionaries always seemed to enjoy it, and we always enjoyed our time with them, getting to know them. And uh, this is as we were new Christians, even to the point of uh, rebuilding our house and making a section to where they could stay and have time alone as a family. It's important here, a lot of times we look at the Word of God and it's overwhelming. Being hospitable to everybody, no, what does it say, one another? One another, being hospitable to one another. Uh, and we see this over and over in Scripture. Our Father wants the world to see his godly family. We are to care for one another, 1 Corinthians 12, 25, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Okay, this is such a simple thing, but again, the heaviness on my heart is because there is so many schisms within the church uh, as I get around and see what people do in the name of Christ and oftentimes leaders, sometimes pastors, and what they do, and uh, it, it, it obviously isn't Christ's love that they're uh, portraying. God's love doesn't cause division, but care again for one another. The Lord told his disciples, and this is very important, they had no need to concern themselves about themselves. When we believe God is going to take care of us, we can freely love others. And this is what it's all about, isn't it? it 
knowing God and knowing we can trust him, he's promised to take care of us. He promised even in grace to meet our needs. And when we are resting in that, knowing our Father is going to meet our needs, we can then give ourselves to others, give of what he's given to us to others, can't we? But that's what it takes. I can't do that if I'm not trusting my Father to meet my needs. I'm going to hang on to everything I've got and uh, maybe even hang on to some things that you have rather than to give where there is a need. Our Lord said in Matthew 6, 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Love is about patience and forgiveness. Ephesians 4, 1 and 2, Paul begs us to walk worthy of the calling with which we were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Boy, it's all in this. It's all here. It's all here, isn't it? Uh, lowliness and gentleness. There's humility. There's God's primary virtue. There's the one that we have to start with. There's the one that, has, that goes the furthest in our life. We have to humble ourselves to rethink our relationship with the Lord, rethink what Jesus Christ did, rethink what the gospel truly is. We have to humble ourselves to believe that, that we're to trust Jesus Christ alone, Jesus Christ only for salvation. That takes humility. Lowliness, long-suffering. Again, they re redefine that in different ways, but it means what it means. And long-suffering, we just lo suffer long with people. Uh, everybody doesn't do what we do, think like we do. Uh, and uh, some, again, uh, people that uh, do things that aren't good at all, and we're to suffer long with them and bearing with one another in love. And uh, we have some really different brothers and sisters in Christ. I can attest to that because I am one. And uh, I am different and look at things differently uh, uh, than others. And uh, often people don't understand me and therefore don't like me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to suffer long with you. But we are often bored with people. We're often impatient. We're often exasperated with people. But we're to remember the patience and love of Christ towards us, you and I. Our songs this morning pointed a lot of, back to the cross and what our, our Lord did for us at the cross. And we're to be reminded of that. He did that for me while I was his enemy. He did that knowing for years of my life I would be blasphemous and hate God and give a rip about what Christ did for me. And yet he suffered long with me and loved me to the point of, of waiting until I was ready to come to him. We are to follow his example. 
We might not have the same tastes as others, but we, we must tolerate their modes of expressing themselves. All right, the music is a big one. Uh, we all have different tastes in music. It was interesting that, I don't know if she'd like this or not, I don't think she'd mind, but I was talking to Linda Nix in the back last Sunday and talking about somebody, and she says, I just don't like country music. I can't get that across to him. <laughs> Most of you know if I had my brothers, we'd be playing bluegrass gospel up here every Sunday, but... I, you know, I, I just, uh, the only time I ever hear it is if I get the sound man back there to play it before church begins. <laughs> I, I will reiterate, though, it's going to be the background music in heaven, so you need to get used to it. Um, how we wronged our Lord, how our sins pressed cruelly upon him at the cross. We are to forgive, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.32, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. The Christian's middle name should be forgiveness. Should be Daniel forgiving Walgast. But I'm afraid too many fail to seem to even know what forgiveness is. They've accepted it from Christ, from God, from Christ's work on the cross. I deserved it, but too many others don't deserve it. And that seems to be the attitude that so often comes out. Reconciling with someone who has offended us seems to be as foreign to Christians as it is to the lost, and it shouldn't be. And again, you know... These are never things to condemn us. It's things to remind us, do I know God well enough to be able to do this? Is he working in my life to the place, do I believe his scripture, his word, that I trust him and am experiencing his forgiveness, that I really, truly know forgiveness in my heart, feel forgiveness in my heart? Because we can't give what we don't have. We can't give what we don't have. Our Lord gave Peter the scope of the Christian forgiveness, and Peter often brings a chuckle to us when we read of, uh, about some of the things he said and asked. Matthew eighteen twenty one. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven, 490 times. Now, someone still in legalism might start keeping a record. <laughs> okay, I've forgiven him this many times. I'm almost to that point. Christ was really saying that forgiveness is a principle not a rule of law. It's our life, and again, it should be our middle name. It should be a part of our name. They can tell, wouldn't it be nice if this was a saying of the Christians, they can tell we are Christians by our forgiveness. And they can't, people can't tell that. Wouldn't it be nice if all Christians had that same aura, if you will, 
can tell he's a Christian. Look at the way he forgives what's being done to him or her. Our motivation is found in the last words of Ephesians 4 to 32. And God always gives us that. He always gives. He doesn't take. He always gives. He's not asking us to give what we don't have. He always asks us to give what we've been given. And in Ephesians 4.32, even as God in Christ forgave you. If one has truly experienced the forgiveness of our Lord, he can extend that same kind, tender-hearted forgiveness that God in Christ extended to you and I. Love encourages and comforts. Sometimes when a brother offends us, it is because of what is going on in his own life. So we need to learn the context of what's going on in your life. You know, you know, I was offended by this. Is there something between us? You know what? A lot of times there isn't anything. The person is feeling terrible about what's going on in his life at the moment. Maybe he's being attacked and he didn't come across well. Wow, that's how many times? Wow, that's the last time. That's the last thing was on my mind. Is, is separation between you and I. And there's plenty of scripture on this. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Therefore comfort one another with these words. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. James 5.16, Pray for one another. Philippians 2.3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. That's love, up, beyond me. Hebrews 10.24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. We help one another in that. Help them to see, help them to See what we need to be doing, caring for others, loving others, stirring up that love. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Romans 8, 3, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. All right, Paul's given the contrast of what we were, walking according to the flesh and giving a rip about other people. Only what I desire, what I want. But the spirit fills us with his Love, love that does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is a fulfillment of the law. So you see God's law in the Christian life. It's human nature to go to extremes. It, you know, the Christian walk is the only walk you go down the middle of the road. <laughs> There's one path and Jesus Christ is at that end of it, and we're going towards him. And the more that we walk towards him by faith, the more that we come, become like him. So we go to extremes, one ditch or the other, and it's true of grace believers in that the law has nothing to do with us. 
But it does. It has a part for unbelievers. The Bible is very clear that the law is to be our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. Galatians 3.23, but before faith came, we were kept under guard, under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. God's word always has practical application. The law always brings fear, guilt, and condemnation. If I'm afraid, I've got to realize, I've got to stop, I have to stop and think through what am I afraid of? Am I afraid of God and what he's going to do to me? Then we're under the law, aren't we? Uh, guilt. If I'm filled with guilt from the past that God has forgiven me of, I'm still under the law. And condemnation. No hope for us to be different. Most grace people understand this. The law taught us that we didn't measure up, that we weren't right with God. We needed to be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But far too many Christians, as well as lost parents, don't understand that as our children need to be under the law, the law of their parents. You look at our country today, and you can nail it right down to this. God intends for his children to be parents who are loving their neighbors, their children, as themselves. They're to be loving them as God does. They're to have a godly standard in their home, a set of laws that their children are to be living up to. By holding fast to that standard, the child realizes that his nature rebels against dad's standard and often breaks his law, even though he may try not to. Through this, he learns that there is something wrong with him that only Jesus can make right. So often, Christian parents protect their children from any kind of harm, and it causes so much harm. I, I love whenever I think of this, I think of Sarah Folk, a beautiful, godly, sweet lady, uh, just really neat to be around and uh, uh, just a really neat person. And her testimony was when she was four years old, she was such a tyrant. She was so sin-filled. That her, it just, her mom just wanted to pull out her hair because she was so bad. And at four years old, she saw that, and she saw her need for the Savior and at four years old, it changed her life. Her mom said she was never the same after that day that she trusted Christ as four years old. But before that, she was constantly breaking mom and dad's law, and they constantly had to deal with her. We must establish God's love for us. Hebrews twelve six: for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. He chastens his children. Our Father chastens us once we are his for the purpose of bringing us to what? Godly maturity. 
to be more and more like his son. Parents are to do the same. I believe this is one area of taking grace to an extreme. As in my early Christianity, I was taught that God doesn't chasten us. You got to rightly divide your word. (laughs) If we do rightly divide the word that way, it means God doesn't love me. It's pure and simple. God loves us and chastens it. Now, I've been chastened plenty of times since I been saved, and I thank him for it. Next, we see the contrast of hating our children and contrast in loving them. Proverbs 13, 24, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. We also see God's love here in that his punishment, his chastening, isn't that to get even, but to train and to teach. It's because I love you, I don't want to leave you where you are. And as my life as a baby Christian, Dan, I love you too much to leave you where you are. That's why you need to be chastened when you get out of line and need to be taught and brought back, and there are consequences. We love our children, so sometimes we have to chasten them in order to teach them what is right. What so many parents never learn, millions, well, I don't know, you have any idea how many, but it's over millions. (laughs) A properly chastened child understands and appreciates the chastening. We think about this in our own life, and and our parents chastened us. We know the truth of that. He knows he is loved. I will never forget a teenager telling me, a fairly young teenager, I wish my dad had loved me enough to spank me. He was living in rebellion. I wish my dad had loved me enough to spank me. And we hear it in a lot of different ways as well. Proverbs 22:15 Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child the rod of correction will drive it far from him This is foolishness God says a foolish heart says there is no god We certainly want to drive that away from our 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 children don't we Godly chastening will cause a child to know there is a god that he has a standard which the child broke A lost child will know that without being right with God he has no hope Proverbs 23, 13, do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. Now, we, of course, think of of physical death, and uh, certainly kids have been beaten to death. But death always has to do with separation. And what's the great fear that keeps parents from, from chastening? What's the great fear? A break in the relationship. My child isn't going to like me anymore. Well, you're going to like you a lot less if you don't get into chastening. (laughs) But but that's the fear. My child isn't going to like me anymore. And it's just the opposite. That's why God put these things in the Word of God. He created us, created family, and knows what makes it work, knows what brings up godly children. And it doesn't break a relationship. 
Parents fear an emotional death from chastening a child, but the opposite is true. When biblical chastening takes place, the child actually feels closer to the parent or grandpa. I've experienced this plenty of times, and it always does. Not a cruel punishment, but proper chastening, and the child always feels closer to you because you've done what is right. The next verse reinforces that in Proverbs 23:14, you shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Boy, those are strong words, aren't they? Chastening from broken laws will again bring the realization of children uh, that they need that there is a God. And godly training will bring them to a need for the Savior and salvation. One more verse on this topic, Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. I have to be careful with this, but, but I was really blessed uh, lately when uh, a little guy uh, had broke the family rule. I don't know which one it was. Uh, but mom was uh, taking him off to the uh, room of ta- chastening and uh, applied chastisement to where he needed it. And uh, what a blessing. No, this isn't what our family does, and you need to know that. And what we've just looked at, especially the last verse, we can understand what has been planned and carried out in our society. First, get the fathers out of the home. In the 70s, the feminist Gloria Steinem made popular the idiom, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. In other words, not at all. Women, lost and Christian, took this to heart. The divorce rate went to 50% and even higher among Christians. So 50% of kids grow up without their father in their home, And 70% of black kids grow up without their father in the home. That's where we are today. God give women a caring, nurturing nature. And without God's truth in their lives, they will always seek to protect their children from harm, any kind of harm, any kind of pain, even godly chastening. And the child grows up feeling unloved. I know a Christian man that spanked his child, and uh, the Christian mother got so mad, you ever do that again, I'm going to divorce you. And he took it to heart, made a wimp out of him, and failured to love his kids, and eventually they did divorce anyway, and... uh, The kids grew up without the reality of God's love in their lives. The law brings fear, guilt, and condemnation and death to relationships, primarily between us and God. Chasing from a godly parent brings in these things to a child, but godly chasing clears those things as well as teaches a respectful fear of father, that there is a God, and that the child needs to know him, and have a reverential respect for him as well. And he grows up knowing he is loved by his parents and by God. 
And again, we can see why so many Christian parents, I did everything that I could uh, with my children and then so often missed what was so important, that disciplinary chastening that really reveals how much they love their children and how much God loves them. It is a mature Christian that truly understands the grace of God that the following pertain to. Romans 16, 614, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Galatians 3, 3, are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Romans 7, 5 through 6, for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. 2 Corinthians 3, 6, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills separates, but the Spirit gives life. First John 3, 4, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. As we turn this around and, and, we, and, and we know our God and we're learning about our God and he's getting bigger and our faith is growing and you know what? Love loves to obey. <laughs> law, we look for circle, how to circle the law. We'll do it this afternoon when we drive away from church. How to circumvent the law. But love causes us to love to obey. This doesn't mean that it is always easy to love others, but the love we are filled with in Christ loves to love and care for others. We think of others. My wife, Mrs. Walgas, and I went up to uh, our ophthalmologist. We see him every year. He, uh, he moved his office or closed his office in Fond du Lac, which at the time was only about 25 minutes away. Went to Oshkosh, which made it further, and then we moved further away, so now it's over an hour. And then finally, we, this year, we learned that uh, he was in semi retirement and only has an office in Appleton. Well, we could have just searched for another ophthalmologist, but instead, we made an appointment, went up and see, seen him asked him if he could recommend someone near us, which he was happy to do. But I told him our primary reason to come in one more time here is because we want to tell you how much we appreciate you and what you have done for us over the years. And he looked at me and said, you know, the money is important, but what you just said is so, it's 10 times more important than what I do for a living. To be appreciated. <clears throat> love reaches all creatures. Uh, God asks us to be humane to the animals. And if he asks us to be humane in small matters, how much more uh, greater matters, which Paul mentions in our text, you shall not commit adultery. God created sensual pleasure and intended it to be enjoyed within the context of marriage. Adultery harms the adulterers and, of course, the spouse of the betrayers and, of course, if their children, them as well. 
It is not love to cause so much harm to a spouse, to a mate. The Bible teaches us that husband and wife are not to defraud one another. 1 Corinthians 7, 3-5. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Seldom ever is this passage used when a maid is caught in adultery, but it is a big part of God's love. God says that the mate's body belongs to his or her mate, not as a slave, for that is not love either, but in, to, in a loving way, there to meet in a loving way, meet the marital needs of the spouse. God tells us very clearly the need for this, and that is so that Satan does not tempt you because of your self-control. A husband or wife not loving his, his or her spouse with this need can put a mate in the position of succumbing to temptation simply because their need is not met by the spouse. She or he is just as guilty of sin as the one taken in adultery. We don't think about that, but it's here in Scripture. This, is no, this in no way allows one or the other to justify their sin. God never gives us that. He never gives us justification for sin. But both need to recognize their wrong. God gave us marital needs, strong ones, in the area of marital intimacy. And if they are not met, if they are not met, it is an open door for Satan to move in and destroy the marriage. Today we know that way too many wives tell their husbands that they have no desire or need to love their husbands in this way, and it's a big part of destroying the family unit. That is the devil's primary goal, and he is adept at fulfilling his goals. You shall not murder. When all other debts are paid, we still owe the debt of love. Love does no harm to his neighbor. This is, and of course it's talking in murder, this is killing someone for self-centered reasons. And some self-centered reasons can look good on the outside. Um, uh, we have a friend whose daughter was raped, and the husband wasn't, the father wasn't too sure that uh, the law would uh, be, bring justice, and he killed the rapist. He went to prison for it. Uh, he got out of line with what was right. But it's not about killing in defense of self, loved ones, or country. Being filled with God's love not only refrains us from murdering, but gives us a desire to love the godless, love the murderer with his love. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. And again, the practical power of love and any other commandment, all things are covered with these words. 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. It all comes down to knowing him. We know him well enough at salvation as we truly believe what he put his son through that we may have life with him. And the more we know him, the more we know his love, the more we are enabled to love the way he does. 
as we know him more and we are filled with his love, we begin to fulfill the law in our lives. It is interesting that if anyone should have known God, it would have been Paul, the apostle of grace, Saul of Tarsus, who hated Christ and everyone that followed him and sought to kill men, women, it didn't matter. And now the apostle of grace that God had given so much to. And you would think, wow, he knows God perfectly. That's not what Paul said. Philippians 3, 7, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I believe Paul is talking completely free from self-centeredness. I'm not there yet, and he probably never was. I don't think you and I ever will be, but we... Uh, should always, as we begin to know our Lord more, better and better, as Paul said, his life's desire was to know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul knew by then that the law of love to be filled in his life came from knowing God more. As we know him, the transcendent love of God for us fills our hearts, causes our love for him and desire to obey him, and quite unconsciously we begin to fulfill the law. If we truly know God, we will love him, and you begin to discover that you are keeping the law without even trying. Love does no harm to a neighbor. When a person fails to attempt, excuse me just a minute. When a person fails to attempt a reconciliation with a brother or sister, he does harm to his neighbor. When a wife fails to submit to and respect her husband, she does harm to her neighbor. When a husband fails to love his wife as Christ loves the church, he does harm to his neighbor. When a husband fails to meet his wife's marital needs, he does harm to his neighbor. When a wife fails to meet her husband's needs, she does harm to her neighbor. When a father fails to raise his children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, he does harm to his neighbor. When a father fails to chasten a disobedient child, he does harm to his neighbor. When someone fails to put away lying, he does harm to his neighbor. When someone allows his anger to go into sin, he does harm to his neighbor. When someone fails to quit stealing, he does harm to his neighbor. When we fail to impart grace to our hearers, we do harm to our neighbor. When we fail to let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from us, we do harm to our neighbor. When we fail at any of these, don't tell people that we know our Father, that you love God. We give others the wrong image of a God that is not. 
We're not imitators of him as dear children and walking in love. We're not a grace believer, but still under law. It is so important. We have a loving, a God that loves us perfectly, and he does not expect us to walk perfectly. He doesn't bring us into fear, guilt, and condemnation. He needs us to know this. He needs us to know so that we're not condemning a brother or a sister in the Lord for where they are. He wants us to love them to wholeness. He loves to, wants us to love people from their lostness to salvation. Paul hadn't gotten to the perfection and neither will we. But as we know him more and more and filled with his love by believing him, we more and more fulfill the love law by his love in and through us. This happens without the works of the law, but the work of his spirit as we grow in our faith of who our father is. The best thing is that it is not something we try to do. That's always our problem. And that's why the emphasis has to be on knowing our God. It isn't that the Christian has never been called to try to be better, never. He is asked, she is asked to believe God to know him, to believe him, to trust him in our lives today. The best thing is that it's not something we try to do or are even aware of. It just becomes more and more a part of our nature, our life. It all comes to going back to the cross and remembering what our Lord did for us. That's the epitome of love. It doesn't get any more precious, more perfect, more pure than that. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Let's pray. Father, how thankful we are that uh, your ways are not our ways. Only you could love us as perfectly as you do. Only you could change us from the inside out with your love. As you fill us with yourself, with your love, Father, it takes our minds off our self-centeredness of me, myself, and I and puts it on others. And, Father, that only comes from knowing you and knowing that that's the God that you are. Uh, all you ever want to do is bless us. Oh, how much we need to believe that. Father, thank you again. We pray for our church family, all that are here, needs that they may have, Father. And uh, thank you for your precious grace where you have no fear, guilt, or condemnation for us, only your sweet, loving arms to embrace us. And we praise you now in your wonderful name, Lord Jesus. Amen.